I enjoy life and growth. My tribe is those like you who are constantly improving. The people who listen to this podcast are the people in life who want to do better and be better. If you are this type of person, I recommend you visit leaderbits.io, which is a company that I started that is dedicated to helping you grow as a technology leader. The best part is if you want to improve, we will have your company pay for it for you. So just reach out and we'll take care of the rest. Leaderbits.io. Today we are talking to Kathy, the CTO of Stitch Fix, and we discuss solving problems by seeing the bigger picture, staying humble with a team first mentality, and how delivering results in small situations leads to delivering in larger situations down the road. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Yeah, it's great to meet you. It's great to meet you. I was reading all about you today. Thanks. <laughs> scavenger hunts. I do like scavenger hunts and uh, escape rooms. Oh, you like the escape rooms too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who doesn't? Come on. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, I haven't actually come into anyone that's like, nah, screw escape rooms. But I did one that was uh, themed of The Office, you know, that show. Oh, that's nice. Where is that? That is in Sarasota, Florida. They make wow. their, they're one of the boutique ones that make all their own. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. That is awesome. That sounds yes. great. There's some good ones here in San Francisco. Um, uh, I think it's called, uh, oh gosh, um, Plaza Games over near the um, old Exploratorium building. And they make their own too. It's really fantastic. Yeah, they, I geeked out with them and started talking. They took me into their little shop area where they're <laughs> soldering all the electronics. That and is so cool. Yeah. And then my wife literally just took uh, herself and our daughter home and she's like, you just hang out there for a little bit you come <laughs> home when you're ready. Did you make it out? Yeah. After I analyzed their uh, firmware on their Raspberry Pis. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah. I'm, I'm so pumped up to be talking to you today. I'm a big fan of uh, San Francisco and technology and leadership and and I'm, I'm a fan of you after reading about you, about how you did your scavenger hunt. I love that. <laughs> Thank you very much. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved with technology, like how you fell in love with technology and how you got to where you are today. Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, I was a child of the 80s um, in elementary school then when personal computers were just coming to homes. Uh, but where I grew up, most people did not have a computer. And so my first experience was comp with computers was in elementary school. My elementary school got a grant, I believe, to have a computer lab of Apple IIEs. And so I got to go to the computer lab once a week, computer class. And I had a lot of teachers who really got the computer bug. And they were really interested in it. They learned about it. Um, so I started doing logo programming with a little uh, triangle turtle that you could make little shapes on the screen um, and learned how to do that for the first couple of years and then moved to basic programming uh, all while playing Carmen Sandiego and Oregon Trail. Yes, yes. <laughs> on the big, you got the big floppies too. Yeah, the big floppies, floppies. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that got me interested in computers, uh, although I had no idea what a profession would look like in uh, the software space. Uh, there were no classes really in high school or middle school 
but I did a computer science summer camp in high school at Carnegie Mellon. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh, Carnegie Mellon was right around uh, the next town over for me and just was really encouraged uh, with a professor there who um, uh, it just opened my eyes to algorithms and computer science and uh, data structures. And so I thought that this was something that I'd like to study. Uh, but really didn't understand what it was until I had my first internship and, and really saw that this was a field that I would love to be in. And so what was your first internship in? I, my first internship was a, uh, a company um, in Boston. It's now defunct. It was a couple of alums from my college, Worthmore College, started a, a startup in the gosh, early 90s um, that uh, was called NetMarket. And it was the first website that did secure internet transactions over the web. So they um, uh, did this with PGP encryption um, over HTTP and did a, I think it was a, a music transaction for a cassette. And then they got acquired by a company that really wanted to build out an internet presence. And so it was a, a membership service. They had a bunch of different websites out there. And I first did an internship doing system administration. And <laughs> I actually really loved it. So Unix system administration, I was managing their networks um, and uh, their NetApp appliances and uh, their databases and uh, just closing a lot of tickets all summer. And then I came back the next summer to their office in San Mateo doing software development. That's amazing. Yes. They just, just kind of let you geek, geek out on their systems. Totally. Right? Yes. Oh. Yes. It was great. And so then now you've made it all the way up to CTO of Stitch Fix. Yes. Yes. That's exciting. Thank you very much. I'm curious to what your perspective is. I have on the notes that you want to talk about your role as a female CTO. And we have reached out to a number of female CTOs and we haven't been able to get a whole lot on the show until recently. Hmm. And so now we've got you and then we have the uh, CTO of Semantic. Mm -hmm. And so that's very exciting. That's great. And I'm, I'm curious to what, what your thoughts are and what you've experienced, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to say I am really proud to be a female CTO, but my hope and dreams is that there are a lot more of us out here in the future and that people look more at us being CTOs first and female CTOs is just a, you know, a, an afterthought um, and that we're valued more for the results that we're able to drive uh, for the businesses and the teams that we're running. But, um, but it, is, it is good to see more of an effort to get more diversity in the field, be it gender diversity or racial diversity, um, diversity of thought, because I think that that's just going to make our industry stronger in the long run. That is exactly what I was talking about before we came on the show. I was sitting on that couch right there <laughs> and I was talking about um, thought diversity mm -hmm. in the fact that each one of our team members in our pod, we assign them a persona of one of our customers because that's just where we are right now in our growth. Right. And so, you know, Jake's always responsible for thinking like the unicorn leaders. Jackie's responsible for thinking like the Jaguar leader. It's a, we have different leadership types, right. you know, individual mm -hmm. contributors all the way up to sea level. Yeah. And then we're always having them adjust the perspective of that way. I can't think of all three at the same time. Right, right. I yeah. think it's so good. And it's, you know, you just think of the diverse customer bases and client bases that you have and having uh, that diversity, um, I think really helps you as a business, but it helps us as an industry as well. 
Yeah, and I'm also a big fan of Sheryl Sandberg. She said, you know, one day there's not going to be female leaders and male leaders. There's going to just be leaders. Exactly. And exactly. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I love that. I love that too. <laughs> like, it's so great. Oh man, we're on the same page, you and I. I like <laughs> you so much. Okay, so Fantastic. tell me a little bit about what your what your uh, day looks like on an app. Like, if you were to take a pie chart of your day, hmm. what would be the three biggest slices? Yeah, that's a good uh, question. I think it really changes on what the top initiatives are going on in the mm -hmm. company. Um, I'd say there's a big portion of my day that is around uh, team building, whether it's recruiting or helping develop people on the team, um, uh, spending time in one-on-ones with, with my, my directs. Uh, and so I think that you're nothing without your team and that's the most important thing uh, that you really need to be doing is, is just recruiting and developing the people that you have. Um, then there's a big aspect uh, that's around um, the strategic priorities, I would say, of, of really making sure that I understand what's going on with the business, what the biggest needs are, and translating that uh, to technology or translating technology solutions into business opportunities. Uh, and so I do spend a lot of time with executives across the company, um, understanding what the needs are, and then really helping the team to focus on uh, strategic roadmaps and OKRs, objectives for, for them to focus the teams, uh, focus their work. And as much as possible, I really want teams to be empowered, the teams to be autonomous, to be able to do the things that are going to have the biggest impact. But we all have to be aligned first before we can just go off and, uh, and solve all those problems. And so I think a lot of it is, is really doing that translation. And then the last part is, is really the technology of making sure that we've got systems that are scalable, highly performant, that are reliable, and that really set us up for the long-term growth that we need to do. And I'd say, depending on what's going on, I may lean one, one way or the other if uh, we have actually been pretty lucky that our systems are, are very scalable and, um, and, and reliable right now. But if we ever were in a situation where we were having a lot of production incidences, that's somewhere obviously that I'd be leaning more towards um, versus last year, I spent a lot of time scaling the team and scaling a, a vast majority of my time on uh, recruiting and, uh, and, and hiring. I'm curious, were you an initial hire at Stitch Fix? How, how mm -hmm. early or late did you join? Yeah, I joined about two years ago. And so uh, this was after the company was already hundreds of millions, had hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, revenue and um, was, you know, really on the growth trajectory of becoming a public company. Awesome. And then, so they had a really good solid foundation to build upon then. Very good solid foundation. And that's, that's um, really one of the reasons that I came was that this was a company that was a fantastic company, great customers, great growth, profitable, um, very amazing executive team, really great technology team. <laughs> I did not have a system where I'm coming in and really having to fix a lot of problems that were already there, just a great bones uh, to, to work with. And yet every single place that I looked, both within the technology as well as within the business, there's just so much opportunity, so much greenfield out to um, really make a difference. And so that's what's been really exciting for me is, is helping the team get to this next phase of growth and, and really um, make a huge difference to our clients. That's amazing. Are you international yet? No, we are in, uh, just U.S., although we've been 
launching into new businesses. So when we started Stitch Fix, it was a, a women's only business. Then the team launched our men's line. Mm -hmm. After that, we went into our plus line, um, which is a really underserved market. We launched extras, which is the ability to buy, buy foundational items in a marketplace experience, uh, um, socks, underwear, bras. Then last month, we launched our kids line. So, Ooh. which I have two yes. kids myself, seven and 11, and they are seven and 11 Stitch Fix customers and uh, love our product. <laughs> they, they, they better be. Yes. Um, well, my daughters love to walk around and she, she has these really cute sparkly shoes with a big pom-pom on top and gets compliments all the time. And uh, uh, when people compliment her, she's like, yeah, it's for my mommy's company. Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't want the parents gossiping that they saw Kathy's daughters in a department store. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's nice. Uh, you know, Stitch Fix really makes it easier for people to look and feel their best. But uh, it's not the only place that people shop. I think people really are very interested in fashion and staying close to trends uh, more so than I am myself. Uh, I'm not. Uh, as much of a fashion trend as some of the people here, but uh, um, it's good to see just everybody's individual styles and. Well, you uh, look super trendy to me. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. You must work at <laughs> like a fashion nice. company. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I literally just so you know, just for like full disclosure, I have a uh, a room over there where we film video and, mm -hmm. and green screen, and I've got about you know three or four of these sh different dress shirts all pressed and hung up and i'm like hoodie and like relaxed lucky style shirt and then before the show i'm like superman in there changing in, in the booth <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it's great well we have a really cool new shirt that has two different fabrics that looks like a nice dress shirt but has stretch in the back so Ooh. um uh well, you don't tell me what, what stitch fix is but um yeah let me tell you about stitch fix so stitch fix is a personal styling company what we're solving is this huge need in the industry where it is impossible to find things online in the apparel category. And you probably have done all of your shopping for non-apparel items online. Uh, probably yeah. like most of us hate going to the stores, but if you're also like most of us and have tried to buy clothes online, it's a pretty miserable experience. You yep. can't look and feel and touch the fabric. You don't know how it's going to fit on you. Even if you look and see a five-star review, you don't know if that person has the same body type as you, the same interests in you, the same style as you. And so more often than not, people buy things online. The return process is such a hassle that they stash it in the back of their closet and then really have no faith in the, in the experience. And so the next time they just go to the store and buy what they like, or you find the one thing online or in the store that you want, and then you just replenish it again and again um, as you need it. And so what's Zuckerberg style. Yes, so, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So what Stitch Fix is doing is really flipping this model and helping people discover things they love right at their home. And what you do is you go to Stitch Fix, you fill out a detailed style profile with mm -hmm. all of the details about things that interest you in, in the apparel space. Start with uh, style. So what are um, types of clothes that you wear, whether it's a hoodie or a dress shirt, um, how formal, how casual are you? What colors do you like? What patterns do you like? What colors do you hate? Um, and what fabrics would you never wear? And Silk. So 
Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, everybody's it's different. Florida. It's really hot here, so I don't know. Exactly. Uh, then we look at your size. So um, do things, what are your sizes? Do things generally run too long, too short, too wide, too narrow? Um, and get to know all about you. And we look at things across style, price, fit. And what we then do is match you with a stylist. And we run all of the data in your style profile. It kind of is almost like a dating profile and do a matching algorithm against all of your characteristics, against all of the merchandise that we have in our inventory. We have merchandise from over uh, a thousand vendors in stock and we do this one-to-one matching to find things that are going to be perfect for you. We have a human stylist, though, that takes those recommendations and hand curates a, a box, a fix, and we send it to your house. You don't even see what's inside until you get it on your doorstep. You open it up. Oh, really? Yep, yep, uh, which Ooh. is pretty uh, a, a unique experience. You open it up at home. You try things on. You pay for what you like. You send back the rest. We pay for shipping both ways. And so what's amazing is that we trust our algorithm so much that uh, we send things and we pay for shipping to you, knowing that we can do a good job finding things that uh, you're going to enjoy. And so I think that's a pretty amazing experience for for people. So you painted a picture in my head just now. You're an excellent communicator, by the way. I love it. (laughs) So in my head, what I saw was I saw myself walking up into the department store and then I'm talking to the individual who's helping me and they're like, Hey, you know, and then they go, Oh, you know, you might like this. And they go back and they find you, what's your size? Oh, and then they go bring me something and then say, go in the room, try it. I come back out. Do you like it? Yes or no. If you do put it in this pile, you're going to buy it. If not this pile, and then you pay, you know, when it's all done, right. You essentially just did that, but like you're a giant store and you're over here in the central location. And then you just use the transportation, like shipping as your, exactly. as your transit. You, exactly. you didn't do anything different like that actually happens in the human interaction right. really right. personalization just, has been around yeah. for centuries of the yeah. storekeeper that is uh talking to you getting to know you getting to find things that you're going to love but um what we can do is we can do that as a much bigger scale with a much bigger set of, set of inventory really get to know you and it's a it's a process that gets better and better over time. So the more data that you share with us, the more you give us feedback about things that you liked, things that you didn't like, then we can use that uh, to give you an even better fix the next time. And then when I go to the mall, I can just spend more time in the Tesla store <laughs> looking real sharp because I don't have to do any shopping there. Exactly, exactly. Every time I go in there, I, I secretly hope like Musk is in the back doing something. <laughs> <laughs> is Elon here? No, not today? Not All right. Today. He's pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, he he is. He he makes appearances on my show. Like I always ask people about. Uh, we'll get to that part of the show later. But, <laughs> um, so, have you ever gone the whole route of full stack engineer yourself? Um. So yeah, I started as a full stack engineer. Yep. Uh, so I started as an engineer on Amazon in the late '90s. I was there while we were launching stores every couple of months from home and garden to toys to kitchen. And then I was there during the dot-com bust and (laughs) got to see how hard it was. Um, I think Amazon did a pretty good job, but it definitely had a lot of growing pains during that time. And I wanted to see something smaller. So I went to a small startup in San Mateo doing B2B analytics software, full stack engineer. And no, I really love development, but, uh, few years after that, I switched to Yahoo, where I changed from being an 
engineer to an engineering manager. And mm -hmm. I like that even more. So right. um, it's uh, been a nice transition and uh, uh, just found something that I'm really passionate about that I could have a high impact on. So I asked that because there's an engineer of yours that what had previously come on our show. Oh. His name's Mike Calhoun. Oh, that's great. Very yes. Nice. Yeah. He was a, he was a CTO at life.io uh -huh. and then he ended up over at Stitch Fix. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was a really cool guy too. And then I talked to him and then about I don't know, a month after he came on the show, I saw his profile <laughs> update to like en engineering lead or something at, at Stitch Fix. I was like, "Oh, that's really really cool, man." That's awesome. Yeah, it's great to have him. And it's it's been really great to be able to recruit uh, so many top talent over the last year. Uh, it's as we've been growing our we've been having more name recognition in the in the industry. And that's been making it a lot easier to recruit top talent like that. Yeah, it reminded me of it because you were talking about your your pie pie slices. <laughs> yes. I was like, yes, they are spending oh, yes. some good time on great people. <laughs> Because they Absolutely. found Mike, and I, I exactly out with Mike, and he's really great at what he does. So, what's the what's what's the culture like at Stitch Fix? It is an amazing culture here. I'd say the thing that's different about Stitch Fix than any other tech company that I've worked is that it is the highest EQ engineering team that I've worked with. Ooh. So um, I've worked at uh, Amazon, Yahoo, Salesforce, Oracle, done tiny startups. And what really differentiates engineers here is they are very strong communicators and they're not just interested in developing technology for technology's sake, but really for solving problems and mm. um, having impact. And so we do this as part of our screening process. We have a product centric interview where people collaborate with a non-technical person on a business problem. And so the sense is how uh, inquisitive are they? How um, how do they ask questions and understand um, things that are going on outside of the technology industry? And then how can they relate uh, technology to that problem to, to really solve needs? And so that is something that really comes through when people are, are working here, that they work very well together. They're strong collaborators and they uh, really are thinking about what's the simplest solution here that I can, I can do to solve this problem. How can I have a fast implementation on something and make that be the V1 so that we can then build on it and uh, continue to have the impact that we want. So you're doing what like really works well. <laughs> yes, because like I always talk, it's all it's in the books. It's like you mm -hmm. read the books of the great you know people that come out and they share their hard earned knowledge, and then you go talk and every company's like, yeah, we do we we should move towards that, and then you you dig a little bit deeper and like one percent of the companies actually do it. <laughs> no, it's good, and I'd say that there's a lot of things the team has done from the early days to really set them up for success. So one is rather than having a monolithic code base, we had we call it micro replications, um, not great at the services level, but uh, started as a Ruby on Rails uh, shop with a yeah. lot of small apps that could be independently deployed. So test-driven development, continuous integration, continuous deployment, each team can then ship on their own schedule. And um, that has allowed a lot of agility into the system and speed and time to market. So um, I think that having these engineers who are really interested in solving business problems and getting things out uh, quickly um, is partnered with the architecture that enables them to do that. And it just is this you know, just amazing flywheel that can build on top of each other. I remember the first time, 
I, I have been writing in Ruby on Rails specifically for about seven years. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I separated my admin from my application, <laughs> I was like, look at the freedom. <laughs> Let's do this again. And then like, <laughs> everything's everything. Now it's just like what you do. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you're engaging with your crew, right? The people around you or the people at your organization, mm-hmm. what stands out to you as, as something that, I guess the best way I could form this question is an action that someone would perform that would, in your mind, you would say, oh, I'm going to kind of tag them in my mind as I'm going to focus on them for leadership, hmm. right? Like if you, I should really write this question better. No, I, I understand <laughs> you know, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if it's just one thing, but I do think that there are a number of things that help people show up like a leader. Uh, some of it is how they can um, find patterns and realize that they're not just solving one problem, but that they're seeing um, the bigger picture. So uh, how can they kind of take a step back from the small thing that they're doing and see, hey, there's a bigger opportunity here, or there's a bigger problem here, and really think about solving the bigger problem instead of the, the small thing at hand. Um, I look at people who uh, you know are egoless that really are someone who you know are, are somewhat humble in how they are are looking at the team and thinking about the team instead of just themselves of of hey this is someone who is understanding that the overall results is more important than the individual and um, I think that's a really important from a certainly from a people manager standpoint of someone who can can really help shepherd a team and and understand that uh, the team can get more done than a single person and um, and really embrace that. And yeah, and I think um, results really matter. So the sense of seeing people be able to to deliver in small situations really helps um, deliver in larger situations. But um, I think leaders come in a lot of different packages. It's not just an engineering manager who's a leader. We also look for leaders in individual contributor roles. And what I really feel strongly about Mm -hmm. is a strong technical organization has promotions and compensation that they show how, how they value the technical individual contributors as much, if not more, than the, uh, the engineering leadership. Yeah, well, you were talking uh-huh. about recruiting yeah. earlier, and I started as an IC, uh-huh. right? Like, I started as an individual contributor, and then I found out that uh, I had some uh-huh. leadership tendencies, and then I worked on my communication yep. a little bit, and I just, you know, and the important thing I would say would be like time uh-huh. passed, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I didn't like, I'm a leader, you know, like I had some uh, interest in it and I explored and I improved yeah. and I learned and I grew. And then uh-huh. over time, um, but yeah, that, by the way, those three items off like top of your head, those were amazing. <laughs> they were so good. Like every one of them. You, you have a good point there because I sometimes get questions from people in college asking, tell me about your life as a CTO and I want to see if this is a career that I'm interested in and and tell me about your path to get there. And it is a pretty long path to get to CTO when you are just starting out and haven't even decided whether you like to program at all. And so I think it is important to understand what your passions are and is, is software development something that you're interested in and what are the things that people are doing a couple of years out, you know, maybe two to five years out instead of, you know, 
I know, 7, 10, 15, 20 years out. Because if you don't like that job in the beginning, you're not going to be able to, to progress into a, a role where you can manage other people or you can uh, be a, um, a director or even a CTO. Yeah, it kind of reminded me, like, if you want to be a CMO, you better enjoy copywriting. <laughs> right? You better enjoy like the, the basic work that you do as an individual contributor and whatever C-level, you just don't right, go right, right to the top, right? Uh, your advice is so good. You've got a book coming out or something? No, no I'm focusing what? on my team. Who has time to write a Focus book? <laughs> hey, you and actually a number of, of the great leaders in technology that I've been speaking to have, have said the same thing. They, they've got so much to share, so much great advice. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, When's the book coming? Do you do you speak publicly though ever at any conferences? I do. I uh, I try to balance the time that I spend with my team. Uh, also, trying to focus some time on speaking externally so that I can make sure that my team gets the recognition and that we've got the the brand awareness out there of the amazing technical work that we're doing here inside the company. So it's something that I do value. Uh, it's also just something I, I try to balance with the rest of my yeah. pie of right with the pie time. You can. You can do a little slice in there for recruiting, exactly. right? Exactly. Because you speaking, when people get to see who you are, mm -hmm. I mean, you're the leader, you're the CTO for technology. So when they think of that company, they think I'm going to come work, you know, on Kathy's team. And so uh, you ever speak with Girls Who Code? I have not done much with Girls Who Code. I think that's a great organization. But um, I, I love seeing more groups around those focus areas that are focusing on diversity and getting people. Yeah. We also have a pretty good connection with Code uh, 2040, which is Code 2040, which is trying to get more diversity for underrepresented groups in, in technology, uh, specifically uh, Black and Latinx programmers, and uh, they focus on college students and helping them get their internships and first jobs out of school and supporting them through uh, that transition, and. So we've had a partnership for the last few years with them, have brought in interns to the programs, and these are amazing interns, just uh, high, high quality. And I love that this is a, a program that really helps support them. They meet weekly with a, a mentor to talk about not just the technology, but also what it's like to work in the workplace, uh, especially if you come from a more disadvantaged background where you don't have any um, parent or a relative that can give you tips about what it's like to work in the workplace. Having a support system like that can be really helpful. And I could have used it myself. I mean, my mom was a teacher. My dad was in, in uh, government. Neither of them knew what business was like, let alone the tech field. And so um, I think having groups like that can really help people's um, entry into the field. I love that point. You made such a strong point there because when people often think of disadvantage, they'll think of strictly like a monetary scale, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's not, to, to your point, of right, your parents were in different areas, mm -hmm. so you didn't get that. That inter and for me, my father was an engineer, so he taught me, uh, you know, soldering, programming, <laughs> basic coding, right? But there was no business component there, right, right? Right. So I got that from I was a geek pulled into a deal. I met some investors in the deal, mm -hmm. and I kind of saw they know everything about this world called money, and. I know everything about this world called programming and we know nothing about the flip. So I started learning about money and they started learning about, and then we, we brought each other mutual value. Mm -hmm. And so then I got my education. But if, if it wasn't for my dad giving me that, like if, if he just said, you know, go outside and play, 
right? right. right? Or, or, he, or if he just had a job where it was just a normal job and I was just on my own just to loop through school, mm-hmm. right? And iterate out into, into a college. So because I had that one little advantage um, and we were not wealthy by any means, like we were, I grew up very poor, but he did that one thing. He's like, this is technology. And he introduced me to it very young. That's great. And, and I think that that's, that's the thing is how can we reduce the barriers for other people, give them that little extra help and support uh, to, to bring them up. And, um, and I think it just is going to help our field altogether to, to make it a more diverse industry. Oh. I love it. What, what's getting you out of bed in the morning? What are you really pumped up about at Stitch Fix? What's oh coming down the pipe? Oh my gosh, there's so much. I mean, I just we just finished our fiscal year uh, and are moving into our next fiscal FY19 is what we call it, fiscal year 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really exciting as, as we're kicking off this year very strong and thinking about all the things that we wanted to launch this year. I'd say what I'm super excited by is that we scaled the team last year, more than doubling the engineering team. And that gave me a little nervous, I have to say, because uh, I was putting a lot on the team last year. I was asking everybody to spend a good portion of their time hiring, recruiting, and um, doing that while doing their day-to-day job. Then on top of that, they had to spend a lot of time onboarding the new team members. And we had some new hires that were being mentored by people who had only been here for two months. And so <laughs> that is not the best onboarding experience, I have to say. But I do appreciate people came with um, a lot of flexibility and patience. And um, even if it wasn't um, the ultimate best experience that they really believed in what we were trying to do. And what I love now is seeing those people that um, have been here now six, nine months, really being able to make an impact and uh, just, I feel like we got so much done in the last six months and we have so many great plans just even for this quarter that um, seeing everybody now uh, fully ramping up, um, is just making me very excited to get out of bed and see demos that people are doing and uh, plans of, of, of what people are working on. I love, I love being able to review like things that were built. Mm -hmm. I'm like, because I have so much admiration and appreciation for the effort that goes into it. uh, Having been one of the people building something that was then being presented. And I'm just like, this is beautiful. And it allows me to transfer my energy to them. And and they really enjoy it because they feel rewarded in their hard work. Um, A business thing caught my eye, a little nerd here. Um, You said that your your fiscal year just ended. So you guys have a, a stop in summer. We do. So uh, our fiscal year goes from uh, August 1st through the end of of January, or uh, end of July, sorry, (laughs) August to July. And so that's a little different than other companies that I've been in, and kind of you have to wrap your head around it. But um, uh, it just, I think, allows us to to not focus on the calendar year and the craziness that happens in retail in December, but really focus on uh, having reliable quarters that we can plan against. Yeah, I was just reading a book called Predictable Revenue oh. and, if, and from Salesforce. Were you at Salesforce ever? I was at Salesforce Before? for seven years, yes. So you, that, I think it was Aaron, Aaron Ross. Is that? I hope I'm not butchering the name. Is that the guy who yeah. wrote Predictable Revenue? I haven't read that book. Oh, oh my goodness. I actually no. took engineering advice out of that book. It's written for like sales teams and sales wow. team structure. Yeah. So yeah. it has nothing to do with engineering. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the way that they were discussing the way that they structure their pods and their different pod styles and, and those natures re- was reminding me of like the Spotify tribes and some other stuff. Mm. And so I, I took their pod structure for their sales team and applied it to my engineering team. 
Fascinating. Yeah, I, I didn't read the book, but I learned so much about business and recurring revenue and um, just uh, the power of the SaaS model that they were able to create. And so I just, I, I got my own business education working at Salesforce and really appreciated every moment of it. Well, in that book, they had mentioned that they put their fiscal year like the end of January or February right. because yes. of the salespeople closing deals over break. Yes. Right. Yes. So I'm all, I'm thinking now like, oh, look how these companies are leveraging this concept. And so then when you said that it's in summer, I'm starting to think to myself, I want to know, I did a project with Boar's Head uh, like a decade ago, you know, the meat company or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, t they got so geeky with me about the flavor trends and how people buy flavors and how they rearrange this all that there's so much to it. Right. And so I was thinking, I want to know about what, what you've learned from your data about how people buy clothes. When, when are people buying? So we have a little bit of a different model than most traditional retailers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was at Amazon, the peak was in December. We actually stopped doing development after before Black Friday and couldn't check in any code that <laughs> wasn't mission critical until after the new year. And uh, the, the peak of, of traffic was all in that month. And then starting January, they'd start building up the infrastructure to be able to support the next peak that was going to happen the following December. So it was all about the Christmas holidays. Stitch Fix is a little different because uh, Stitch Fix is more about buying for yourself instead of buying for others. And so with Christmas holiday, a lot of people are buying for others. And so we don't have the crazy peaks uh, at the holidays. Ours trend more towards uh, the seasons that people are interested. I'm interested in more fashion for spring and for fall. Um, there may be some things around special occasions around the holidays, but it's not um, this massive spike that you would imagine. But I, I would say I'm learning a lot about fashion. Uh, right. uh, my first week at Stitch Fix, I went into an operational review meeting and it was a cross-functional group with different leaders across the business, within marketing, within um, our strategy team, within our merchandising team, uh, engineering technology. And we went through all the business metrics. How many new customers did we have? How many fixes did we ship? Uh, how many uh, returns did we have? What's our overall revenue and profit margins? So just anything you would expect from an operational review meeting. And then halfway through the meeting, they rolled in these racks of clothing and said, we're going to do a deep dive on second layers today. And second uh, layers? What's that? Second layer. <laughs> um, so second layer is what we refer to as... My pants. I got my underwear and then I got my no, pants. No. No. <laughs> yeah, so, so things you put on top. So a blazer, a vest, a hoodie, a jean oh, okay. jacket, uh, you know, anything that you're, you're putting on is your second layer on top a hat? No. <laughs> Don't sell a lot of hats. No. Those would be in our accessories. So that's accessories. 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 Um, yes. Yeah, so, so it's a new uh, uh, learning every day. Uh, and they talked about, okay, here's the trends we're seeing for the under 30 age group. Here's the good sellers. It's unseasonably warm fall. And so the, the thin puffer vests are doing really well. And then they flipped it around and said, hey, these are things that aren't selling well because of the special trim or these colors are not uh, trending this fall. And so just the language that was being used and the thought process that's going into the merchandise was eye-opening to me and um, has been really exciting to get to learn a whole new space that I never had experience to with. Oh, man, I love it. Now, so, Will, first, first question is, because you got me pumped up about Stitch Fix, right? Um, I surprised my wife. She'd be like, you look good sharp. I'm like, <laughs> you should give it no. a try. <laughs> is it, do you have an app? Like, is it an app? 
Yeah. Yeah. So oh, okay. um, we're a mobile first company. So we have mobile web for everything as well as an iOS app. We have a very simple Android app and we're trying, we, it's mostly a wrapper around the mobile web experience, though we're continuing to, to look at trends to see uh, how many of our customers are using Android versus iOS versus other devices. Yeah, of course. Like where do, where do investor development yeah. time based Absolutely. on you? We build for our customers, not because we think mm -hmm. things are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because when I started, the app was mostly a sign up flow with all of the survey questions and then a checkout flow. And what we've been really starting to invest in is more features that drive engagement. And one of those features we did recently was called Style Shuffle allows you to thumbs up or thumbs down specific styles. Ooh. So you can say, hey, I like that. I don't like that. I wouldn't wear that. I wouldn't wear that. We've had more than 40% of our active customers playing this mm -hmm. and they just love to share data. And I've heard people on the street telling me how much they enjoy doing it. Uh, and so it's, it's nice. It's, it's a way that we can engage with customers, get to hear them more about things that they love. But what's also amazing is that the clients that are using this app are getting better fixes. And we can test that with Ooh. real data and see that uh, fixes that we're sending out after they start using the app are, are better and uh, stronger for them. You should do a little uh, marketing thing with, with Tinder. Be like, increase your TRR, <laughs> your Tinder response rate, right? <laughs> with Stitch Fix, right? <laughs> Look and feel your best. Crack the best. Yep. There you go. Well, we did it. You and I, we made a podcast, my friend. That's fantastic. I it really enjoyed the time. Yes. So, so much love to you and your team. And then I'll actually be out there. If you're around, I'll say hello. And That'd be um, great. We can show you around the office. Really yeah, fun. it'd be really cool. Because I, I, really, I really like it. I think you're an awesome person. Thank you. I really enjoyed this time. This is a lot of fun. You have a fantastic day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.